For those who have ever had the opportunity, the privilege of walking into one of the great cathedrals uh, in Europe, it can seem a little bit like what I might imagine it will be like walking into the presence of God. The vaulted ceilings draw your attention upward and, and our spirits upward. There's the staggering beauty of stained glass windows and bright gold altars. And depending on which cathedral in, you're in, there are also rich paintings or frescoes or mosaics. The sense of, of ages having passed in the centuries of building and worshiping that the cathedral represents. Some of us have even had the privilege of hearing cathedral choirs sing in these same spaces. Again, I imagine that it is at least something like what we will experience in God's presence. These intricate harmonies winding around each other and yet making one song. High notes that soar to the vaulting and, and low notes that seem like they're a part of the the stone foundations. Now, not for the same reasons, but even megachurches in the U.S. can inspire a sense of God's kingdom in having hundreds, even thousands of people in one place worshiping God. The sheer volume and, and power of all those voices singing together for the Lord and everything being new and clean and working. And then there's us, Queen Anne Presbyterian Church. One of the light fixtures in the uh, stairwell entry that you come up it has a pole string on and off. Most of the uh, felt coverings for the communion cups in the pews have long since vanished. The, the glue decayed. They were gone before even I was here. And that's been 25, 24 years. And most Sundays, even before COVID, we wouldn't have thousands of human beings in one place even hundreds of human beings in one place. We'd have maybe a dozen, up to maybe two or three dozen, depending on the time of year. But I will tell you what, every Sunday we ever have gathered and every Sunday we continue to gather, we are as much an expression of the church as any congregation anywhere. The phrase we are looking at this morning from the Apostles' Creed reminds us why this is true. We believe that the church is the communion of saints. This phrase reminds us that when we have the eyes to see it, being a part of a church, any church in worship especially, unites us intimately with both the triune God, and all God's people, past, present, and future.
Let's start with the acknowledgement that the original phrase can be tra uh, translated in two different ways. The uh, Apostles' Creed was originally written in Latin, and the phrase that we're looking at this morning in Latin, in Latin is sanctorum communio. In Latin, it can mean either communion of the holy ones, as in communion of the holy people, or it can also be translated communion of the holy things, like the Lord's Supper or baptism. Throughout history, some have emphasized one translation over the other, but many people have decided that those two translations pretty much intertwine with each other that it's a communion of both holy people and holy things, and they both feed into each other. C.E.B. Cranfeld, who was a uh, professor at University of Durham in England, serves as a great example of those who link the two meanings. He writes, the church are those bound together in fellowship with one another as holy persons made holy by the holy things they share. The church are those who are bound together in fellowship and communion with one another as holy persons made holy by the holy things they share. What makes the church the church is this bond, this communion of holiness, essentially, that we all share. It it's, has nothing to do with soaring cathedrals or high-tech sound systems. Instead, the church is the communion of holiness, holy people and holy things. And both the holiness and the communion come about through the work of the Holy Spirit. Susan Woods, who is the dean of St. John's in Minnesota, explains it this way. Holiness is, above all, an attribute of God. Any holiness attributed to persons accrues to them only by virtue of communion with God. Holiness is only possible insofar as the Holy Spirit dwells within the members of the church and animates the church, gives life to the church. Confession of the holiness of the church reminds us that it is more than a sociological institution subject to human limitations but it is the body of Christ and the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is what God promised God's people in that uh, Hebrew First Testament reading. Through Ezekiel, God proclaiming, I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit, this is God speaking, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. Paul understood how this communion 
this deeply spiritual intimacy became even more central to the identity of God's people in Jesus Christ. When he writes about the body being one, even though it's got hands and arms and feet and all these different parts, it's still one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jewish or Greek, which was one of the main divisions of humanity at the time. Slave or free, another major division. And we were all given one spirit. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that unites us. Paul grasped that all disciples of Christ are somehow organically part of one body. And that opens us up to an even greater communion than we often contemplate. Because we are somehow incorporated literally into the body of Christ, of Jesus, we are brought into the communion that God shares as a trinity. We talk about God being uh, three persons but one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet somehow one. By the work of the Holy Spirit in us and uniting us in the body of Christ, we are brought into that deep intimacy of the triune God. This is what Christ expresses in that prayer that we read. My prayer is not for the apostles alone that he was having dinner with that night. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, which is us. We believe because of the message that they wrote down and shared. That all of them, all people who believe in God through their message will be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one. As we are one, I and them and you and me, let the world, that the world might know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. The implications of this language about you being in me and, uh, and Christ being in us and us being in Christ is beyond our ability to fully comprehend. But it is wonderful and delightful and life-giving. And in addition to this communion we share with the triune God, our communion with other disciples of Jesus includes all who have ever been, all who currently are, and all who will ever be. David Steendale Ross, who is a Dominican monk, writes about the church, since the essential bond between its members is the life of Christ, which is hidden in God's eternal now. For God, there is no past, present, and future. There is only an eternal now. Because that's our essential bond, that life in Christ in that. It transcends time and links all periods of history. 
According to St. Augustine, the church begins with Adam and Eve and endures to the very end of time. The upshot is limitless belonging. What a wonderful sentiment and profound, limitless belonging. That's what we have in the church. When we have the eyes to see it, being part of a church, any church, unites us intimately, both with the triune God and with all God's people, past, present, and future. Even here, in Queen Anne Presbyterian Church, with a pole string light in the entry stairwell, with felt covers for communion cups long since gone, and let's see, earlier my count was 14, I think we're up to about uh, 18 in the pews this morning. In the book, where 20 or 30 are gathered, we're almost there, a man named uh, Michael Coleman is credited for the following quote. He writes that uh, there's one thing that we do on earth that we will continue to do in heaven. That is to praise and worship God. That is why we view life on earth, for those of us who love Jesus, as choir practice for heaven. In light of that, there is no more important activity of the human heart than to praise and worship God. This is the reason we exist. This is our purpose. And this we can do whether there are two or three of us or two or three hundred of us or two or three thousand of us. Whenever we gather, whether it's two or three or two or three hundred, wherever we gather, we are joined by the communion of saints. In writing about this phrase, the communion of saints, John May, a professor from Louisiana State University, recalls the closing scene of the movie Places in the Heart. Some of you remember that one. It's the one um, where Sally Field won Best Actress. And, you like me. You really like me. Her infamous uh, Oscar speech. But anyway, the movie Places in the Heart. The movie opens <clears throat> with an accidental shooting of a white man named Royce by a very drunk black man named Wiley. This is set in rural Texas in 1935. And in a horrific injustice, Wiley is lynched by a mob of white people, even though it was a total accident. Royce's widow, Edna, the part played by Sally Field, is left with two kids and a farm that is about to be foreclosed on by an unforgiving bank. By the end of the story, through a lot of hard work and the significant help of a black man named Mose, Edna has made it through the worst and the future looks hopeful. So John May describes the last scene of the film. We hear music from the local church before we see a long shot 
of the sparse congregation. As the minister introduces the text, the hymn to love from 1 Corinthians 13, we can easily identify Wayne and Margaret, uh, another pair uh, in the story, sitting in the first row reconciled in their marriage, and behind them Mr. Will, Edna and her children, and the bank manager. When the choir rises to sing in the garden and the minister pronounces the memorial words of the Last Supper on the night that Jesus was betrayed in the rest of the the communion plates are passed through the congregation. The camera uh, position shifts to a medium close shot taking in two or three people at a time and it pans with the communion plates along the pews. As the camera pans slowly along and new faces come into view, we notice gradually that the pews are now full and everyone is present. The living and the dead, the present and the departed, the good and the bad, not just those faithful few who were scattered around the congregation at our first viewing of it. Most astonishing of all, we see Royce standing next to Edna and next to him, Wiley. Royce and Wiley, together in the last frame, victim and unwilling murderer who ended up victimized himself. Wiley receives communion from Royce and looking back at him, smiles and says, peace of God. The director has effectively reminded us that the whole church, wayfaring, suffering, and triumphant, is united at the Eucharistic banquet, the communion of saints. Even here at QAPC with 18 in the pews. A few weeks ago, during our Sunday worship, with about the same number of folks scattered through the pews. We all stood to sing the closing hymn, which that day was Amazing Grace. Since uh, Andrea was up here on the chancel leading the singing, I stepped down uh, in front of the front pew and uh, was facing this way towards the cross, so everybody else was behind me. And even though I knew that only a little over a dozen people were behind me singing. There was one moment in the hymn when if you would have asked me, I would have sworn on a Bible that there was a choir of hundreds. There was a feeling that rushed through me with a fullness of sound of voices that I felt through my whole body. And I knew that we were joined by the souls of hundreds of others singing to God. When we have the eyes to see it or the ears to hear it, when we are together in worship, no matter how few or how many, we are united in our very souls with the triune God and all God's people past, present, and future. Amen.